Hope you have a wonderful day. We dedicate this class to our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land, especially those on the front line. We all, those who are wounded, have a full and speedy recovery. All the hostages return home safely. So we continue. We left off the sixth chapter in Baba Kama, 68, the second line. It says in the Mishnah, he quotes the Mishnah, the end of the Mishnah, the last Mishnah we learned yesterday. That if it depends if there's someone adds wood and someone adds a fire, so it depends who the last one, whoever was the last one and caused the fire, they're solely responsible. What if both the one who added the wood and the fire still the fire would not have caused any damage, if not for the third one who came and blew it up? So believe the one who blew it up, he's solely responsible for all the damage. He has two versions. You can say the word, the Mishnah uses the word, the word Liba. If, if your version is Niba, it's also not mistaken. It says in this week's parasha, Moshe saw the fire, the burning bush. So the Tejah says, He saw Hashem in the Labas Eish, in the fire. So Liba means he, flamed, he inflamed the fire. It says, it says in Isaiah, Hashem creates the movement of the lips. So when you move lips, the sound, what creates the sound, the movement, the speech, it's the wind that blows through the lips. So again, Liba means he blew, he blew with his lips. So Liba, Liba, it's all the same thing. But if Liba, but if, even if the one who blew it wasn't enough, Cause damage, but then there was a wind, an unusual wind that came and caused the fire to spread. So they're all exempt. Those who want to say, make a distinction that really we're talking about a regular wind. But the difference is that if you make the fire and then the regular wind spreads it, then you're liable. Here, it was the wind that caused the fire in the first place. It was wood and, and lighting the fire and just blowing it, still didn't make it into a a fire that could do damage. It's the wind, and therefore, in this case, you would be exempt. Others say, no, even in this case, it's to be expected. If it's a regular wind, they should have expected it, and therefore, anyone involved in this fire, the last one, I guess, is is the one responsible. Okay. Okay. The rabbis learn, what if if both things cause the fire, cause this, this, this damaging fire, the wind together with the one who blew and fanned the flames. So, if his blowing, fanning the flames is enough to fan the flames, then he's liable. If it's not enough, it's only his blowing together with the wind, then he's not liable. If the wind would be strong enough to fan it without him doing anything, so his blowing doesn't add anything. The wind alone could not do it. And he alone could not do it. If he alone does it, without the wind he would have fanned it, then of course he's liable. But here, but here, if he alone is insufficient, and the wind alone is insufficient, it's only both of them together, then he's not liable. But ask somebody, why is this? 
Why the person together with the combination of the wind, don't we hold them liable, cause the fire? It should be like winnowing on Shabbos. When you winnow on Shabbos, is one of the 39 categories of work. After you thresh, after you thresh, you know, first you harvest, then you, uh, the, uh, you, 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 you pile, you tie it together, and then you thresh it, and then you throw it into the wind, so the, the kernels come falling down, and, um, so just like Zayra, Yechayev, Yelayevov, Zayra, and Shabbos, even though it wasn't solely your action, you threw it up, it was you together with the wind. So you see that your action in combination with the wind is considered as if you did the work and you desecrated Shabbos. So why in the laws of damages is it any different? If you blowing, fanning the flames together with the, with the wind, together the combination should still be considered as if you did the damage and you should be liable. We're talking about over here. You, he fanned the flame on one side and the wind fanned the flame on the other side. So therefore, they, 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 his actions did not help the wind. Obviously, if there was a fire, his actions alone fanning the flame couldn't cause the fire. So what must have caused the fire, even though it appeared to be as if the wind is not enough to fan the flame, it turns out that the wind was enough. So it was exclusively by through the wind, and therefore, he's exempt from all damages. Rav Amar, Rav says, in Shaliba Baruch Mitsuya. He fanned the flames with a regular wind. And then, the wind then changed and fanned it with, a, with an abnormal wind. So according to Rava, we're talking about a case where when he was fanning it, it was a regular wind, and there wasn't enough between the two of them to turn it into a blazing fire that can cause damage. But then suddenly, unanticipated, the, suddenly this the unusual wind comes and fans it into a huge flame, so therefore, since he wasn't responsible to anticipate it, therefore he's not liable. But in the case of Shabbos, when he winnows, you don't need a strong wind. Even a regular wind is enough to blow away the shaft, and then the kernels come dropping down uh, into the ground. Abzeidama, third answer, Abzeidama says, again, the Tzamra Tzamuri. Bryce is talking about where he was warming the fire. He was just breathing in it. He wasn't blowing on it. It's like when you want to warm your hands, you blow on your hands. To, your, hands are, your hands are freezing, so you blow on it uh, a, little, a little warmth. There, he didn't contribute anything to the fire. He just like war, you know, just blew a little, just like warming himself. That's not enough to fan a flame, so it's entirely by the wind. So that's what the Bryce means. If it was enough together with his fanning together in combination with the, with the wind, then it's like Zayda, then he's liable for all, responsible for all damages. But if, if not, he didn't even fan, he didn't even blow, he just, just like blew like some little hot ear, then he didn't contribute anything to the flame. And that's why he's not responsible. Fourth answer, fourth explanation of Ashi Yomar, Ki Amrinan Zayda Baruch Meseyate Yanimilin Shabbos. He says, no, he disagrees with all these answers. Shabbos is different. The B'raisa means the way we understood it initially, that him together fanning it is not enough for himself to cause the fire, it's not enough for the wind to cause the fire. It's a combination. Why is this different than Shabbos? Why in the case of Shabbos do we attribute it to him and 
you desecrated Shabbos versus here, we don't attribute to him, you're not liable for any damages, because there by Shabbos, the Titus prohibits creative work. So this is part of creative work. He created together with him throwing, together with the wind, he created. It's very creative. He's using the wind and he's throwing, so he's doing something, an action that's creative and that's causing a change, change of status. He's able now to separate the chaff from the kernels. So since his goal, his theme, his, his purpose was fulfilled, that was his purpose. That's exactly what he intended. He took an action and he did a creative act and, and his, his actions were carried out. His intention was carried out. So here it's the intention that's primary. Versus in the case of damages, he didn't do the damage. It wasn't him alone. It was together with the winds. He can't hold him responsible. Here he just caused, a cause of damage and grama is exempt. Even on Shabbos, there's certain gromas that are permitted. Like the Gemara says, if there's a fire, you're allowed to put in a distance where the fire is going to reach. You can put water, so then which will cause the fire to extinguish. This is like an indirect, very indirect cause, because the, the, you're putting the water far away from the fire. Eventually, it's like a, a line, the fire will reach, and that will extinguish the fire. Here, I'm actually blowing, so I'm actually, it's together with my blowing, together with the wind, so it's, a, it's more of a cause. It's, it's, it's not a total, I'm not totally responsible, it's a combination of my blowing and fanning the flame together with the fire, but that's, that's still a cause. And when it comes to Shabbos, you're liable if you cause, because it was an intentional thought and it was creative, and therefore you're liable. But not in the case of Nizakin, you're not. In this case, uh, case of Nizakin, you're not. Lying. It's just a cause, even such a cause. If you send the fire, offer and consume the wood, the stone, or earth, or or offer chayiv, you lie. It says even if it burns something that's not suitable for burning, but it causes a damage. The fire goes out. The matzakaitzim and grabs hold of thorns, and the fire spreads. gadish. And a, a pile of grain is consumed, a kamba or standing grain, by asad or the field is consumed. Shalom, shalom, the one who made the fire has to pay. So even for the field, the damage you do to the field, which is the earth or the stones, you singed it, you caused the damage. So you can't, you can't plow it now. It ruined, ruined the earth. That's the mission. Why does it have to say thorns? The fire grabbed onto, onto thorns, grain, standing grain, a field. You need all of them. Only tell me if you grabbed onto thorns, only then they liable. Because fire is often found amongst thorns. So therefore, it, it's negligent. It's negligent that you allow the fire to, to reach the thorn. What, since thorns are used for burn to consume, to be consumed by fire. So therefore, the one who lit the fire was negligent. He, didn't, he didn't, wasn't, paying, wasn't careful of the fact that there's thorns there. So what? Let the thorns burn. And that caused the damage. That's why then the Torah holds him responsible. Have a Godish. If a fire burns a pile of grain, you don't find fire there. Therefore, it's not negligent. Maybe, maybe the title would say that you're not liable. It was probably an accident. Otherwise, how, how did this fire get reached to the grain? Surely a person would be careful not to light a fire next to a grain. So surely he was careful and it was an accident.
So Tedas to tell me no, you have to pay also for the grain. Because you cause tremendous damage. So the merciful one, Hashem says, you have to pay a substantial loss. Avakoitzim, thorns, they have some mood. How much money do you lose already? How much value does it already have? Amaloi, maybe then the Tedas says that you're not liable. We're not talking about if you directly ignite someone's property. We're talking about you lit a fire in your property and it spread. So what are, what do you have to pay for? I wouldn't know one from the other. The trader only said thorns. I would know. I wouldn't know the pile of grain. If the said gadish, I wouldn't know thorns. Come, why do I have to say come? Alamali, if it's standing grain, my come begoli, begoli. Just like standing grain is overt, is open. It's exposed to also anything that's exposed. But I don't have to pay for things that are concealed. If there were things hidden in the haystack, I don't have to pay for the, for the hidden utensils that were in the haystack. According to Rabbi Huda says, you are liable to pay for anything that was hidden, anything you burnt down, even though it was not exposed, it was hidden. What's Kama coming to teach me? My answer to Rabbi is called Baile Kama. Anything, anything that has statue, the uh, vegetable life that stands, usually referring to, we're talking about a field, anything that stands, meaning even trees, animals, not only a field, grain, anything that stands, anything damaged, anything that stands, the tree, the animals, you have to pay. The rabbis rabbis who say that, come, come to teach me that only something that's exposed and revealed, not something that's hidden. So where do I know that it's not only a field, a grain, or uh, even trees and animals? The word oi. The oi, the extra oi comes to add anything that's standing. And according to Rabbi Yehuda, what does he use? The, what does he use the oi already? I know Kamar comes to teach me that anything that's standing. So what's the oi coming to add? So I need oi to. That it's each one separate, not the title only holds me liable if you burn all of the above. The thorns, uh, the standing. The field, the, the, the attached uh, stalks. No, not all of the above. Each one separately. How do we know, since we need, the, according to the rabbis, we need the oil to add that anything that's standing is liable for the damage. So where do we know? Maybe the title means if you burn all of the above. There's another oil. It says oil or the field. So that tells me it separates a comma or the field, each one separately. Rabbi Yehuda, why does it say oil hasad? What's that coming to teach me? I already know that it's separate from oil comma. So I the Kazrahman Ayakama, since the Varsak says Oi, so to be consistent, the Kazav Oya Sad. Okay. Now Rava continues, what's Sadalamali? What's the word Sad the field come to teach him? That even if the scorch the the plowed field, so you ruin the plowed field, or you 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 singe the, the stones. So that's also considered damage, and you also have to pay for that. Once a tater comes to teach me sada, even if you damage the plowed field, the earth, and the stones, how much more so everything else? Why do you have to say all the others, enumerate all the others? You need all the others. Because Rahman Sad, if Tater would only tell me Sada, I mean I would think that only a field, what's in the field, the produce, the fruits, 
But anything else, the ground itself, no. If the Torah would only say Sada, I would say Sada means what's in the field, what grows in the field, and not for the earth itself. So Kamashwal on all the others, by mentioning standing grain and the field, so now the field is left to teach me that even for the earth I have to pay. Tribulation comes to this world only when the wicked ones are in this world. But it starts with the righteous first. And then when it says, when a fire goes out, and that's a punishment, a fire, a terrible tragedy goes out. When does a fire go out? When does tragedy strike? When Thorn, the wicked ones, are available to it. All they do, they don't contribute anything to this world. All they do is they, they, they make life uncomfortable. Thorns. But, but it starts. Who gets punished first? The righteous. And it says, The first one that's consumed is the Godish, the righteous, the grain, the good ones, not, not, not the thorns. It doesn't say, and the fire will consume a stack of grain. The stack of grain is consumed, meaning, the Godish was already, already consumed. By the time the fire reaches the thorns, it already started. It already started with the um, with the grain, with the grain. You know, the previous Rebbe says, you know, Hashem took the best. We saw during the Holocaust, Hashem took the best of the Jewish people. He says, when you slap someone, you slap them in the face. Why do you slap them in the face? When you slap a child, the child is on the face. It's not the face that did something wrong. It's usually their hands. They did something wrong with their legs. Why are you slapping their face? Because the face is responsible. If you were truly a head, head, you would have made sure that to make sure the hands behave properly and the legs behave properly. So when the part and the legs are, and the hands are not behaving properly, you have to slap the face. It's their responsibility. So who's responsible ultimately that there's koitzim or there's thorns in the Jewish people? It's because of the tzaddikim. Something is wrong with them. They have to take responsibility. It says in the Pasuk, it says, when they left Egypt, Hashem told the Jews, don't leave the house until the morning because of the uh, of the plague of the firstborn. Why? Once the Satan was given permission to destroy, at midnight the firstborn died and he was given permission to wreak havoc and to bring destruction and death. He doesn't distinguish. He has, he's having a party. He doesn't distinguish. So stay home, stay locked in your home, stay sheltered in home. So if they would have left the house, they would have been in danger. Not only that, when, when there's punishment in the world, you start with the righteous. It says, It says in Ezekiel, Hashem says, I will cut off, I've cut off the righteous and the wicked. What's mentioned first? First the righteous and then the wicked. Hashem personally taking care of the firstborn and, and uh, killing all the fir- Egyptian firstborn, he unleashed all these negative forces were allowed reign, were allowed to roam free in Egypt. So, but to protect them, he told the Jewish people to shelter in place. Are the righteous also like nothingness? They're the first to get punished. <laughs> what, what do you gain from all your righteousness? This is a favor for them. So they don't have to witness the tragedies that will befall the generation. Before, before the evil happens, Hashem removes the righteous that they don't have to witness it. They don't have to watch. It's too painful for them to watch. 
this tragedy. When a person is traveling, you should always enter an inn when it's kitoi, when it's still light. Don't wait till it gets dark. You should only depart in the morning after it's already light, after sunrise. It's not safe to travel at night. Hashem told the Jewish people, stay indoors at night. Don't go out outside. They didn't leave Egypt until until, uh, until the day. He says, because it says Hashem saw that light was good. The first day Hashem created light. Hashem saw that light was good. So he calls it, you should go kitoiv. Night in general is a time when all the wild beasts, besides you, you don't see where you're going, you're going to fall. It's a time when all the wild beasts come out, all the criminals come out, all the uh, partiers that, uh, you know, that don't live any productive lives. All, all, all the crime, a lot of crime happens at night. At night is a dangerous time. So stay home. And during the day, that's when the productive people are out, about, early, functioning, producing. The rabbis learn, If there's a plague in the city, then take your feet into your house. Avoid, avoid becoming infected. Quarantine yourself. COVID. And though every person has an allotted amount of time he has to live, but still you have to act responsibly. You can't uh, act recklessly and maybe you can hasten your death before your time. So so be beware if you're stuck in the city, you didn't have a chance to leave the city, escape the city, and there's a death in the city, a plague, then quarantine yourself. How do we know this? Hashem told the Jews in Egypt, the last night of Egypt, to stay, stay indoors, don't go out. All the, the, the destruction going on. And also it says, and it says in Isaiah, Go, my people, enter your rooms, close your doors behind you until the wrath has passed for a brief moment. But then it says, It says in Deuteronomy and Hazino, the outside the sword of the angel of death will. Uh, bereave well, indoors there will be dread so you're locked indoors and um, so outside is much more deadlier than inside that's where he roams free so outside the sword is, is will bereave inside you're sitting in, in, in fear but you're, you're protected somewhat from the danger that's in the outside. Why do you have to bring another Pasuk? Don't we know everything we need to know from the first Pasuk? Because you want to say, maybe only during night time. Hashem told them the plague of the firstborn, they were told to stay indoors during the night. Maybe during the day, there's no problem, you can go out of your house. That's what he says. Here he doesn't differentiate night and day. Lock your door, go indoors. And uh, and later on it says in the Pasuk, on that day Hashem will bring punishments. He's talking about even during the day. This only applies, there's no dread inside the house. Inside your house. But if there's dread inside the house, what's it going to help for you to quarantine and to lock yourself indoors? 
Maybe it's better to go out and be amongst people, to have companionship. You're going to be indoors, you're going to be isolated. So maybe it's detrimental. So that's why he says, The outside is sort of worried, indoors will be dread. Even when there's dread indoors, and you want to go out, because you want to be alone, you're isolated, you're lonely, don't go out, because the sword, the sword will bereave and there's there's a play going around. The mother says Rav would seal his windows. If there's a plague, he would seal the windows. Death has ascended through our windows. You have to protect yourself. There's a plague out there, you have to protect yourself. Even the ear, you have to it reminds us what we did during COVID. Tell the rabbi and the rabbis learn the rav There's a famine in the city. Take your legs out to another place. Go to a different place where you find food. There was a hunger, a famine in the land of Canaan. Avram just arrived. There was a famine and he went. He left the land of Canaan and he went to the land of Egypt. Ibrahimin says, also says, says in the book of Kings, the four men who were Mitzrayim, they came to the city gate, they said to one another, why should we sit here and die? But there's a famine, the city will die there, if we remain here, we will die. Let's go and throw ourselves to the camp of the enemies, to let us live as good, and if not, okay, at least we'll die, we won't suffer from hunger pangs. My way, but what if they bring another proof? You can say that the first Pasuk is talking about leave town, there's no risk of life. But if there's a risk of life, if you leave the land, maybe not. Even a time, even if your life is in danger, they said we have nothing to lose, go, let's fall into our enemy's hands, either have mercy and let's feed us. And if not, so we'll die a swift death. So you're allowed to, to save your life, even if it's not for sure you're going to save your life. It's in doubt. Maybe you're risking your life. Maybe it's safer to stay here and, 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 and uh, ride out the storm. Instead, you're going out. Maybe you'll save yourself or maybe you'll die. You'll hasten your death. So we're saying you're allowed to risk your life to save your life. Like a similar question. Are you allowed to do experimental treatment? to uh, a person who's terminally ill, you're hoping you can add years to his life. If it's successful, it'll be tremendous. But if not, you're going to hasten his death. So that's uh, that's a similar question. That's what he says. You're allowed to... Allowed. The rabbis learn, never be here. If there's a plague in the city, a person should not walk in the middle of the road. Because that's where the angel of death goes in the middle of the road. Once the angel of death has been given permission to kill, he walks out in the open, he parades out in the open. But there's peace in the city. Don't walk on the sides of the road. Even the last little shusa. Evil inclination has no authority. He slinks along, hiding. So that's where you're going to find the uh, angel of death and the, on the side street, on the side of the road. Rashba says that what he means is that in time of a plague, don't be middle of the road average. You have to you have to do drastic things. To heal yourself. 
You should be ready to do drastic, to take drastic measures. Don't just follow moderation. Don't be. Don't live in moderation. When it comes to diet or health. Do things that are extreme. Alternative medicine. Do do things that are extreme, that can restore your health. But in the case where everything is normal, then then be middle of the road. Don't live extremes. You know drastically. It's also true spiritually. When then society is normal, society has morals and values, then you can be middle of the road. But when you see society is out of control. It's completely immoral and immoral. Then it's a time you can't be a middle of the road, or you have to you have to walk on the on the sides of the road. To be extreme, to to one extreme, you have to be intense in your connection to Yiddishkeit. Tanarabana, the rabbis learned ever be if there's a plague in the city, don't enter into the synagogue alone. The angel of death places his tools there. It's only true. If there's no young children or learning there, there's no there's no minion of men praying there. But if there's a minion of men with his children, then there's no room for the angel of death. And the rabbis and the rabbis learn, Cloven, Bechim, we hear dogs howling, Malachamov's belly, it means the angel of death is in town. Cloven, Mesachim, we hear the dogs making merry, Elyon, Navi, Bolir. It means Elijah the prophet has come to town. Animals can sense things that are beyond our, you know, like, like metaphysical realities. But it says, it's only true, let's in the cave, there's no female amongst them. There's a female in the group. Their merrymaking has nothing to do with anything. It's, it's because of the female. Or maybe they're howling because of the female. They're fighting over the female. They're just being dogs. Nothing metaphysical. Okay. Yasir Rabami, Ravasi, come to Ravizuk Nafka. Ravami, Ravasi, he was sitting before Ravizuk Nafka. Maravale, one master asked Ravizuk Nafka. Leben Marshmait, recite Allah teaching, Maramale, and the other one asked from Ravizuk Nafka, Leben Maragadita. I would rather hear something from Agada, Agadic teaching. Possible name Agadita, which I would give Nafka started answering Agadita, teaching them something from Agadita, but the first one wouldn't let him. He tried to, to, to start to teach Allah, the other, the other master didn't let them. One of them wanted to hear Allah, one of them wanted to hear Agadita. So let me said to them, I'll give you a parable. What is similar to London officials, the national man of two wives. One is young and one is old. The young one pulls out his white hair. <laughs> so you look younger. <laughs> she doesn't want to be married to an old man. The old one pulls out his black hair. She doesn't want to be married to someone younger than her. He's bald from both sides. He doesn't have either. He ends up without any hair. No black hair, no white hair. So I'm not, I'm not able to teach you anything. You're not letting me teach Agatha. You're not letting me teach Allah. So I'm not teaching you anything. If that's the case, I'm going to say something that's fitting for both of you. It says in the Pesach, you light a fire in the laws of damages. In you light a fire and it finds thorns. Tetze means me go forth on its own. But at the end of the verse, it says, Shalom, Shalom, the one who lit the fire has to pay, meaning someone lit the fire. It didn't just happen on its own. 
So Amr HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem, the Holy One is saying, I have to pay for the blaze that I kindle. And it says, and I lit the fire, and Hashem lit the fire, and he destroyed, he consumed the foundations of the base of Migdash. And he also lived nice, but I have to rebuild it, I have to pay. And after rebuilding, I'm going to rebuild it with fire. And it says, it says in Zechariah, that the walls of the Beis Hamikdash in the future will be made of fire. For glory, I will be in its midst. So that's the Agadita part. Now I'm going to tell you the halachic part, Shmaitzah, the halachic part. The Pasuk opens up the damages inflicted by his property. A fire shall go forth. That the person didn't set the fire. The fire went on its own. He started a fire in his own yard. And then it spread by itself to his neighbor's property. Not he lit a fire in his neighbor's property. But then with Saim Beniski Gufi. It says, Shalom, Shalom, Amavir, Sabeda. As if he lit the fire in his friend's property. So the Elohim Allah said, teach me halacha, that Yishri Mishum Chechitzah. He said, teach me halacha, like Rabbi Yechon, the opinion of Rabbi Yechon, that fire, it's not like your property doing damage, like your axe scoring doing damage, your animal. But Yishri Mishum it's as if you, you threw a, 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 an arrow. So you're throwing the arrow, you're, it's direct. It's, it's you've, you are doing the damage. And the difference is, if you yourself do the damage, or your property does damage, if your property does damage, you only have to pay for the actual damage, not for all the other payments. Versus when you do damage, there's another additional four payments. You have to pay for the unemployment, and for the, and for the embarrassment, and, uh, and, and for the pain, and the medical bills. So when you light a fire, and you cause the fire to go with your friends, and then the fire goes into your friends' fields, as if you lit the fire directly, if you damage directly. So he taught one thing and teaches us two two things, Agadita and Halacha at the same time. It says in the passage, that David was craving, he was thirsty. He said, if only someone can bring me water to drink from the well of Beislach, which is in the city of the gate. Three of the mighty men of David's warriors broke into the camp of the Philistine, and they drew water from the well, which was in the gate, at the gate. And they brought it to David Amel. So they risked their life to bring water to satisfy his thirst. And David poured it out. They don't want to drink. He says, God forbid I should drink water, which, which could have caused blood. He could have lost life. I didn't mean you should risk your life to get me a cup of water. That's a simple, simple reading of the story. The mother says, Michael, the Gemara understood when he said he was thirsty for water that he was he had a craving for water. I mean, the water is refers to Torah. He needed a certain halachic ruling. And the Sanhedrin was in Beis Lechem. It's not that he was thirsting for water because he grew up in Beis Lechem, so he was used to the water. He says, ah, oh, if only I can get water. He didn't mean anyone to actually go and get it and risk their life. And then they, but they heard it was so important to David, they risked their life. That's a simple reading of the story. But the Gemara understood it, that he was... He needed halacha clarification. He says, but how am I going to get to the Sanhedrin? There's a Philistine garrison blocking blocking us. And they broke through the garrison and they reached the Sanhedrin and they asked the question and they found the answer. They got the answer and they came back and David was so upset 
that they risked their life to get the answer. But what was the question that David needed to pose before the Jewish Supreme Court? Was sitting at the gate. The question was, are you liable to pay for the damages of things that are concealed? When your fire, your light in your property ends up burning and reaching your friend's property and destroying your friend's property, are you liable for things, only things that are exposed or even things that are concealed? It's an argument of Yehud and Rabbanan. Yehud says you're liable even things that are concealed. The rabbi's majority opinion says not. So David wanted to know, what's the halacha? And they answered, so not an answer. we don't know what they answered him, but they answered. And they came back and they told David what the answer was. Question that came up before David, because his men, his soldiers, burnt, lit a fire, and the fire reached into another Jew's uh, uh, field and it destroyed his grain, and there was, there was things that were not exposed, things that were hidden. And he wanted to know is he obligated to pay? Those men have to pay for that or not? Um, Aravuna says the question was as follows: Gedishim, the Satan, they shall have it. It was stacks of barley belonging to the Jews. The Plishim were hiding in the. Um, so Dov wanted to set the fire to root out the enemy. That was his question. I'm allowed to save my own life by destroying someone else's property. By burning, he would he would smoke out the enemy, but he would destroy he would destroy a fellow Jew's uh, precious uh, grain stacks of grain. He's allowed to, to save life. He's allowed to do anything, but the question is, do I have to pay for it? Since I had a right to save my life, or yeah, you save your life, but you still have to pay pay your friend for the damage that you've caused. That was his question. And send back. Also, you're not allowed to. Meaning, if you do, you have to pay. Of course, you will save your life. You can do anything, but but you'll have to pay. Pay your friend back for the damage that you caused. Some, even though some say it literally, read it literally. Meaning, you should rather die. That's a literal meaning. Just like you have to give up your life, martyr yourself, not to worship idols and not to commit adultery or or murder. So too, you have to give up your life. You have no right to destroy someone else's property to save your own life. But the consensus is, no, of course you're allowed to if your life takes precedence over everything, including destroying someone else's property. That's the only way to save your own life. But but he means if there's a way to save your life without, even though it's easier, you don't have a right to. But only if you have no choice and your life is hanging in the balance, of course you can ruin it. And then, and then you have to pay for the damage. You David are a king. Eminent domain, a king has a right to make a path, if he needs a highway, he needs a road for himself, his army, he can make a road, you can't stop him, you can uproot a person from his home, eminent domain, the government can come and kick you out of your house, we need your space for the highway, so therefore, you don't have to pay. A third explanation, Rabbanon, the rabbis, the others say, there were stacks of barley belonging to the Jews, and there were stacks of lentils belonging to the Philistines. And David asked the Sanhedrin, Is it permissible to take the Jewish own stacks of barley to place the barley before the animals? And we'll pay them back once we defeat the Philistines. We'll pay them back with the with the uh, stacks of lentils. Belong 
presently belong to the Pushta. Shalchaladi said, the Chavil Yoshev Roshig Zeli Yishalom. This is a Pasuk in Ezekiel. Of course, Yechesko was, uh, was uh, hundreds of years later, close to 500 years later. So, uh, 400 years later. So, but he's just quoting, I mean, the concept that we find in Yechesko. They answered him and they said, and they said, The wicked person returns a pledge, a chavel, chavel, something that he took as a pledge, repays for his theft. He's not allowed to steal from a goy. But here, David was looking at it as spoils of war. Maybe it's spoils of war belongs to me. Eventually, I'm going to conquer them. And then I'll pay. I'll use it to pay. So, he, so the, we find in the Pasuk that they responded to this concept that, that the Russia pays back his theft, but he's still a Russia. In other words, if you steal and then you pay it back, he's still a Russia. At this time, you have no right to steal the the Jews' private uh, private uh, pile of lentils to feed your animals because you're planning to pay it back with the spoils of war from the Goyim. Avalata, but you, Melachata, you're a king and it's different. The king is eminent of men. You have a right to create a path for yourself. And no one can protest, therefore, if you need it for your army, if you need a war, therefore you're allowed to do this. Your mother says, According to the one that said that David wanted to switch the Jewish own barley for the Philistines' own lentil. Why it says in one verse, we find this account twice in the Tanakh, once in Shmuel, once in Chronicles. So in one verse in Shmuel, it says, A portion of the field is full of lentils. And it says in the other passage in Chronicles, Satan was full of barley. So which one was it? Barley lentils. Now it makes sense. The Jews' field was full of barley, and that's what they wanted to use to feed the animals. David was planning to pay back with the with the piles of lentils which belonged now to the Pelishtim. Elaman, according to one who said David wanted to burn the stacks of barley the Pelishtim were hiding. How are you going to explain these two verses? What was it? It was barley or was, or was lentils? They were hiding in stacks of barley and stacks of lentils. He might answer, I'm Allah, he'll answer you. There was also Jewish stacks of lentils, besides the stacks of barley. The Plishtim were hiding. They're both correct. Some, they were hiding, they're both true. They were hiding in the stacks of lentils. And they were hiding in the stacks of barley. The Jew had two things. He had stacks of lentils, stacks of barley, and they were hiding in both. And that's what I wanted to ask if he can burn, burn both of them down. To to uh, smoke out the enemy. He wanted to burn. Davidam wanted to burn to smoke out the enemy. That's why it says he made a stand in the middle of the portion, and he saved it. Since they said he can't burn down the stacks, only because you're king. That's why it's different. So it says, if he stood in the middle and he saved the stacks from being burnt. That's what it means. He stood in the middle and he saved it. The warrior that went and penetrated the enemy and reached us and asked the question and came back with the answer. So it's as if he stood in the field and he saved he saved, uh, saved the, the, the stacks. 
with the one who says that he just wanted to exchange Jewish owned barley stacks with Philistine owned lentil stacks. What do you mean? And he saved it. How did he save? They weren't planning to destroy it. They were just planning to make an exchange. What do you mean he saved it? Saved it from what? The mother said, he, he saved it from making a switch. You have no right to make a switch to take away the barley and substitute it with the uh, with the lentils. These last two explanations, I don't see today, that's why you have two psukim. One was a lentil stack and one was a barley stack. Either they wanted to burn them down or they wanted to exchange. So you have two different verses. El Laman Dhamma we continue. On sixty one A, according to the opinion says Tamun Beige come boy, he asked whether you have to pay. Since the fire that they lit ended up destroying the fellow Jews uh, 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 stacks and including the things that were not exposed that were hidden, does he have to pay for it? My boy Why are these verses why do you need all these verses? There was nothing to save. It was already burnt. The, the fire burnt down his, his vessels that were hidden, were not exposed, were hidden in the stack. So Allah will tell you, you as both of these things. He asked whether they're liable to pay for the things that were hidden in the stack. And also one of the also one of these other questions, whether you can smoke out the enemy. Or you can, could you save yourself with someone else's property by destroying someone else's property? Or if you're allowed to substitute one produce and substitute it for another. According to the last two answers, since they came to the Sanhedrin and they said you're only allowed to do it because you're a king, I know simply have a David didn't want to listen. I'm a Kivan Diki, so since it's actually prohibited, I don't want to do it based on royal privilege. It was, a, it was David's prerogative as a king. He didn't want to exercise that prerogative. The prerogative they shouldn't have to pay the Jew for the damage for smoking out the enemy or or, or, um, or that he shouldn't have to pay or should be allowed to exchange uh, the, other, the Jew's food for his animals because he's going to pay it back with the, with the, with the lentils. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to use utilize that prerogative. What do you mean David didn't listen? That was the question. It's a lacha question. Am I obligated? Am I liable to pay? What do you mean David didn't listen? He didn't want to drink the water. He didn't want to listen to this. What answers? In other words, he didn't say it in their name. Of course, this is Allah. Omar David would say, I receive a tradition of the best of Shmuel. Whoever, whoever submits himself to death on account of Torah, you don't say halacha in his name. Act it inappropriately to risk your life. You have to, you have to take care of your life. So they risked their life. There was no reason for them to risk their life. They were not allowed to risk their life. Therefore, David didn't want this halacha to be associated with their name. Or others say, the contrary, they were, they were ready to risk their life. So there was no ego, they were completely egoless. So the whole being identity became became Torah. Not just they're saying something of Torah, this became their whole essence.
Pasuk says he didn't want to drink the water. He poured the water as a libation to Hashem. He acted for the sake of heaven. He was strict on himself. He didn't want to use his royal prerogative. So that's why it means l'shamayim. He acted for the sake of heaven. What do you mean he poured it out to Hashem? He said these laws in the name of the tradition, without specifying any individual. Just in the, in the, he poured it out to Hashem, like this Allah is coming from, from Hashem, without associating this Allah with these uh, individuals, these three uh, heroically went and obtained this Allah from the Sanhedrin. Have a wonderful, wonderful day.